listeners, before we get to this episode of Problem Solvers, here is a word from our sponsor. Hiring great employees and keeping them is part of the growth plan for your business. Trinet offers full-service HR solutions tailored to small and medium-sized businesses so you can retain talent and grow. We're talking about access to top benefits, help with compliance and payroll, even when your team is remote or out of state. The works. Because Trinet gets it. Your people matter to your business. Learn more about their HR solutions at trinet.com slash podcast. That's T-R-I-N-E-T dot com slash podcast. Trinet. Incredible starts here. And now, on with the show. From Entrepreneur Media, this is Problem Solvers, a show in which entrepreneurs do what entrepreneurs do best, solve unexpected problems in their business. We were completely wrong. And I'm just like, it's not selling. It was like, we have to start from scratch. I'm Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. A little while ago, I was scrolling around the internet and I came across this amazing image. It is a block, like a, like a big block that is made out of fused together plastic. Like just imagine that. Just imagine taking uh, 20 or 30 pounds worth of plastic garbage, bottles, bags, whatever, and uh, fusing it together into a solid block that you could use to build things because the block is construction material. So instead of blocks of concrete, you could use blocks of fused plastic to build walls, to build benches, to build structures. That was the idea here behind this company called Bifusion. And I saw it and I was fascinated because I will tell you something. I'm kind of obsessed with recycling. I always have been. When my wife and I were traveling in Asia for a month and I couldn't find recycling bins, I literally collected all the paper that ever came across us, all the newspapers we bought, all the anything. I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember what else I acquired. Um, somebody would hand us a piece of paper, receipts from hotels, whatever. I would keep it all. And because I couldn't find a place to recycle with it, I literally flew it back home across the Pacific Ocean, came with me back to New York to home just so I could put it in a recycling bin. But of course, the great frustration about recycling, as you may know, is that a lot of the things that we recycle just end up in a landfill because it is too complicated or expensive or dirty to actually recycle them. A lot of our recycling used to get shipped to China for processing, and then China doesn't want our stuff. And anyway, try our best, but a lot of the things that you think you're recycling just become garbage anyway, which is why we need to be thinking about better solutions, other solutions. Are there things that we can do with this stuff? Of course, we should also reduce the amount of stuff that we're using, but while we're using stuff and making garbage, is there a way to create another life out of it? Well, that's what I saw with Bifusion, fusing together plastic into construction blocks. And I thought, well, that is fascinating. How does that work? Which is why I called this person. Hi, I'm Heidi Kajawa. I am the CEO and founder of Bifusion. Bifusion is based in California, but Heidi gave me a little Zoom tour of the place. It was pretty awesome, actually. So this guy, the guys, we just got a big shipment of material. Here's a bunch of blocks. Oh, yeah. Go out. Another big material. Here's some raw waste. I do not have the technical vocabulary for what I was seeing, but I will tell you in my layman's terms what I was seeing. So I was seeing piles of raw waste, just plastic, just plastic garbage going up this conveyor belt and then going into this machine where a few minutes later it out is spat this, this block, this block, just dripping water. So we're the only system in the world that can take it right out of the Pacific ocean and make a block out of it. 
This is the next block that's going to be made. That's a lot of plastic. It's 22 pounds. 22 pounds of plastic makes 22 pound block. So fascinating, right? Now, to be clear, it is very early days for Bifusion. It is currently making walls, furniture, small structures. Its work is starting to appear around the country. There's a park bench installed in Boise and then projects in Tucson and Los Angeles. And anyway, I had a lot of questions. Where does this kind of technology come from? How do you actually make money off of it? Who is the customer? How difficult is it to raise investment dollars for something like this? And Heidi was very happy to patiently answer all of my questions, even though when I called her, I will be honest, and as you will hear, I didn't really know that much about the business. I, I just sometimes I just sometimes I just reach out to somebody and I say, "You're doing something very interesting. Can you explain it to me?" So what I'm going to play for you is our conversation as I try to understand Bifusion. It is I will um I will cut to the end here. It is a really interesting company with a really interesting idea. Heidi will explain it better herself. But the, the idea here is not actually to sell the blocks. The opportunity that Heidi has identified is to sell the machines, to sell the machines to municipalities, to waste management facilities, have them now be able to do something constructive uh-huh, and also monetizable with their waste. So how does this work? And how can we try to turn more of our plastic into usable construction material? That's what's coming up after the break. Who doesn't want to do right by the planet? Well, one of the easiest ways is to use paper. And another is to choose products that come in paper-based packaging. Because paper comes from trees, a natural and renewable resource. And here in the U.S., private forest owners carefully maintain healthy forests and their habitats to provide our essential paper products. And those products can be recycled up to seven times. Thanks to innovative design solutions, everyday items from cosmetics to liquid detergents are now using paper-based packaging, making it easier than ever for consumers to do good for the planet. And the same goes for business owners. Choosing paper-based packaging materials is a great way to take the sustainable path forward that also gives back. So choose paper and help America's forests thrive. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com. All right, we're back talking to Heidi Kajawa of Bifusion about the origins and the business behind this really fascinating idea. And Heidi said to really appreciate this business, you have to start at the beginning, both for her and for the idea itself. I grew up with a hammer in my hand, not necessarily a Barbie doll. So I've always been building stuff. I had, I love it. I remember some of my earliest memories as a little girl were on the floor of my grandpa's factory with a hammer, scrapping around for scrap metal and wood to build something together, put something together. But I realized early on that that's probably not a good career path back in the 70s and 80s for a girl. So I decided to do something else that girls didn't do at the time and just root myself in technology. So, but I never dropped the hammer. So I literally would go to work, pound the keyboard from nine to five, come home, scarf down some dinner, strap my tool well down and go re- renovate a house. It's amazing. How old are you and what, what are you working in at this time? I was, I've been in tech since the dot-com days. So okay. yeah, so I, yeah, I was in the Valley when, when the, during the heyday and that was a blast. After that bubble burst, I went down to Hollywood and helped to digitize the studio ecosystem, both from the back office, as well as, you know, as they started to embrace digital film acquisition. And we were there at the front lines helping to support that movement. So it was good. I've had an incredible career in tech. I had a successful exit in tech. And so it just enabled me this moment in time where like, 
after my exit, honestly, there was a, there was a moment I was acquired in beta, which is great. You know, I loved it. And, um, I had a little bit of a midlife crisis post acquisition and realized, Hey, I want to do something that's a little bit more meaningful. Um, went soul searching for Mm. what are we going to do? What are we going to do next? How can I build a better world? And this problem started percolating and this plastic white, this plastic waste crisis started to be more uh, prolific in in media. We're starting to hear a little bit more about it. This was back in 2015, 2016. Long story longer, you know, I met with some people who knew about this company that was an insolvency um, and a patent had been abandoned. So we revived it and got to work. So Bifusion was a solution that somebody had kind of tried, patented, and then didn't do anything with? Yeah, back in the early 2000s. They just, wrong time, wrong place, wrong wrong ideas. Mm, yeah. But something was right. But something was right. So yeah, we took that and uh, decided to do a little market research, see what was going on. And Can you tell me a little bit more about that process? Because that actually is a pretty perfect problem solver subject. You identified an interesting solution that had failed for one reason or another. How do you go about figuring out if there's a there there for you? How do you you understand that this didn't fail because the idea is not workable, but rather because the execution didn't work? There was a little bit of both that happened. It was the execution was wrong, but the idea was only half right too. So there was um, market research. I mean, at the time, that's when social media just started to become more of a tool as opposed to just a time waster, right? Like we could actually reach a lot of people to tap into their interest. That was also the time where you could rally around a topic in, in platforms like Indiegogo and, you know, all of the, the crowdsourcing things. And so we opted to tap into those platforms to see if the world was ready for it now, you know, like it was, you know, we use it as market research. So we invested a little money and put some stuff out into the universe and to see if people would react to it just to see if they'd react to it. Yeah. Like what, can you give me an example of what, what went out into the universe to see if people reacted to it? Well, we knew that we there was a, we had the capability there, there was a proposed conceptual capability, I'd say, cause we never saw it. it was a piece of paper. Right. So it was a proposed- so the previous, the previous company had never actually gotten to the point of like sort of manufacturing. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. They had a they had a prototype and it kind of worked, but okay. not really. But there was but they but they did they were smart. I mean they patented the idea. So like I said, like okay, well let's just take this idea and run with it and see what happens, mm-hmm. and let's make it work for mass scale if the world's ready for it. So we we literally invested in some money, told our story, stuck it on Indiegogo, not necessarily looking for cash, but more as a platform to be very specific and targeted in our mission mm-hmm. around plastic waste and environmental you know, how, how the solution could solve for that problem. And we told the story, like, comp, like you were mentioning early on, Jason, plastic is not created equally. It's super complex, which is why this problem is really broken. So is there a way, or would people, would people react and get on board with doing something if they realized that their efforts were tangible and went back to the communities that they resided in? And so that was really the message that we put out into the universe. Like, Plastic's not always created equal. This problem, we need to think differently about it. Let's get the plastic waste out of the universe. Let's block it for good. It's a good, good use. And um, what do you, what's the world think about it? So yeah. it was really great. Um, it was a great exercise. It definitely underscored that now is the time to do something that people would react to it. We went viral 
pretty quick. Didn't raise a ton of money, but the message wasn't really about that. It was more market research, but it did enable us to buy our first boiler, which was great. (laughs) Need that. Yeah. So that was cool. So once we realized that there was a need, then, you know, I stuck our engineering hats on and started cutting steel in 2017. Wow. This is is an interesting moment, right? Because you have have an intriguing idea. You want to gather a sense of whether or not people will respond to this idea, whether there's a kind of marketplace for it. You're not going to invest in building everything out just yet. How much did you feel like you needed to show and how much did you feel like, how, how much needed to exist for you to feel like you were able to communicate the potential of this and to feel like you actually could execute on its potential before deciding to go full into it? You know, I, that's a really interesting question. All I ever saw in the very beginning was a really old prototype lock. That was basically the only the only tangible thing that we saw. So I just, I said, well, if this can happen, I know I can make that better. So there was never really any doubt that we couldn't do this. It was just, how was it going to be executed and what's the kind of team that we needed to do to pull together? And we knew it was going to be an uphill battle because for on the investment side, primarily because waste management and construction are two massive industries that VCs typically never invest in, never. Manufacturing is in the pits, never, never typically invested, never sees VC money. Yeah. So fortunately, because I was just coming off an exit, I was able to bootstrap it all through mm. those R&D. I took on the burden of uh, the technical risk. And it wasn't until we got to mass manufacturing and just commercialization stage we're in now that I felt confident that you know, the VC community would take us seriously. And we've proven out our market and driven up our demand. And the world needs us now more than ever. And I've mitigated the technology risk. And so now it's just, it's time. Let's go. Let's go fast. What you're describing there reminds me of a conversation that I feel like I hear pretty frequently, which is where, here's the question, where is the future? Where are the exciting things? Where are the new focus of energy? And the answer that I hear from that all the time is they're in the really boring spaces. They're in the places where there is no innovation, where nobody's touched it. They're in manufacturing and transportation and insurance and this stuff that's just not buzzy at all and no VC cares about it and nobody's going to write about it. But that has infinite white space because people are... So that's something that you... It's sort of the place that you're living in here. As somebody who is now able to tell the tale, I'm curious uh, how hard that actually uh, was (laughs) because it's interesting. You're telling me you're in this space. There's so much opportunity here. There's so much potential, but the typical venture capital world is so unused to thinking about this space that they probably wouldn't have even engaged with it. Do you think as somebody who kind of went into a quote unquote boring space to innovate it, do you feel like there is actual massive opportunity there? Or do you feel like you have to do so much different in order to get there that it that the barrier to entry is, is just exceptionally high? I think there is, that's another really good question. You're right. The industries, both, both industries are extremely ripe for opportunity. They're also just some of the biggest laggards when it comes to innovation because people, they just can't get the eyes. They can't get the eyes. You know, a lot of times the economics aren't there or it's just not a sexy space. I think it wasn't until maybe the last 18 months, to be honest with you, when climate 
started an ESG focus and corporations were getting pressure not only from consumers of their product, but now stakeholders, stakeholders Mm -hmm. demanding transparency in this space. It wasn't until ESG started to become more of a boardroom discussion and that VCs started to say, okay, I guess we have to start focusing on this. Now, especially with new regulations coming out, there's been a there's been an increase in regulation on producer responsibility. So now the government's starting to come and apply pressure to corporations about transparency. And now more than ever, I think um, they need something tangible. I don't know if you remember back in the early 2000s or even late 90s when everybody's like, we're going paperless, we're changing mm-hmm. light bulbs. And everybody's like, whoopee-doo, what does that mean for me? Like, it's too hard to measure the impact on that. And now they're like, now they're just throwing money into the wind to these funds and they're like, nothing's really happening. And so they've right. got to take action now and people are demanding it. They're getting pressure from everywhere. Government regulations, there's threats of that. There's more regulations coming down the pipe there. Their communities are demanding more of them and their stakeholders and their customers are demanding more. So they've got to do something. And it wasn't until that moment that there started to be a shift in the investment communities. That's interesting. So I mean, the place that that question of mine came from was seeking advice almost from someone who like, you know, like you who are many steps into this journey for someone who might be on the outside looking in and thinking, you know, I would love to figure out the white space in some other place that hasn't been traditionally invested in. And, uh, and, and what is it, what does it take to actually do that? And what are the things that are required that might be invisible? And the answer that you gave me, I sort of going to state it back to you in a different way, just to see what you think. The answer that you gave me is like, to make this really work, you need a combination of um, a wide, a, a space that hasn't been a space in desperate need of innovation, but also a growing ecosystem and demand for some kind of change in that space. So that when you come along with a solution, there are enough people who say, aha, I'm aware that there is a problem here and therefore I'm more excited about your solution. Right. Do you think that's right? I do think it's right. We've seen that that case to be true across anything, even in technology. So when we were driving for change and, you know, the problem leads the solution, not the solution doesn't create the problem, you know, like, so there's got to be this balance. You can't build something that you think solves a problem that may exist and go pound the pavement. And if it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. It wasn't until we saw the tsunami coming with all of these other factors in the plastic problem. Waste management's always been broken. This problem has always existed. It's just been compounded over time. And we've been moving trash around the world for so long. It's just ended up in the ocean because of course it's going to fall off the ship. Of course it's of course there's going to, they're going to cut cut lines and it's going to commingle and capture everything. It's a net, you know? Like of course this is supposed to happen. Right. So it's like, you know, it's just been exacerbated and people are explorers. These days, people are explorers. They're exploring the internet. There's more information in front of them. And so there's a swell of comms and amplification going around issues that is just bubbled over, essentially. I think, you know, again, going back to that question about people wanting to go invest in this white space, the thing that I realized is coming from Silicon Valley and having access to tech investors, people need to remember, like us entrepreneurs need to remember that no VC is the same. Like they have portfolio preferences. They've got, if you're a tech company and typically invests in cyber, don't talk to them about ESG. They don't care. They don't, it's not their thing. You know, like right. you've got to understand your audience. And I learned that the hard way because I'm like, oh, people are going to love this. But they just didn't know what to do with it. They were like, mm-hmm. hey, this is great, but I don't know what to do with you. You know, like, good luck. 
Call me when you're <laughs> call me when you call me when you're a little bit farther along. I, maybe we'll change our focus areas. And there hasn't really been a lot of VCs who have put their their pole in the ground and said, I'm investing in this because I care about it and I want to make a difference. Everybody's looking for the tech unicorn. I think that's starting to shift too. You know, the shift of um, the private-public partnerships and, you know, climate-focused investments and ESG reporting and transparency. I mean, that's definitely new. That's the new buzz right now. And um, it's taken a long time. It's taken a long time to get there. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, there is so much more to the story of Bifusion. How are they building this business? Where is the marketplace opportunity? How are we all going to have structures made out of fused plastic? Coming up after the break. Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash small business hub. Once again, that's visa.com slash small business hub. Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, we're back. And now more with Heidi of Bifusion. I want to ask you about two other categories of things. Number one is the other side of this business, which is after the thing has been manufactured, now you've got to get it into the building industry, I suppose, the manufacturing industry in some way or another, which means probably a lot of education and creation of a different kind of market. And I'm curious what that's been like. And then after that, I I, I just have a whole bunch of questions about how this thing actually happens. <laughs> you actually make these things. Yeah. Um, but let me start, let me start with, let me start with that, right? Like, because as I think about this and hear you describe all this, I think, well, okay, the, I mean, look, the thing that grabbed me the second that I saw by fusion was I see this lacking the words, the building block, whatever you've created out of this plastic. And I immediately get it. And I think this is amazing. Like I, I love that this was not created out of whatever other material it's usually created out of. And that now I see all this plastic that would have just been ended up in a wind, landfill and now it's compressed down to, into this thing. And I love it. But then I think, well, wait a second, but you've got to go convince somebody to use this to build something with. And I wonder how hard that was. How hard was that? It's always going to be hard again, because of the industry that we're tapping into an industry that typically is resisted innovation. We've been building with cement for centuries, centuries, like since the dawn of time, we've been building with cement, right? And lumber. That's just what we've always built with, with humanity. I think the challenge that we have, again, goes back to climate, the focus on climate. Our forests are on fire. We can't just continue to keep cutting our trees down. We need to give them time to rebuild themselves and do what they're supposed to do. So we need to give relief on some of our natural resources. Same thing with cement. We're not here to displace cement. We love cement, but I think we're overusing it in some situations. You got to mine for aggregate, you know, to make cement. There's multiple ingredients that go in there that are all natural resources. And so how do you strike that balance? 
the cement industry is also getting just pummeled because of regulators of their greenhouse gas emissions and the unenvironmental practices they do to manufacture there. So I feel like we can really partner with these industries to help create this new future. Now, the other thing that I think is fascinating with this industry is consumers are becoming more aware of the challenges of the building materials industry because of the buzz around climate. I mean, it's it's that everybody points to things that we've done forever and says why are, these things are broken. So I think that consumers are now starting to talk to their architects and developers and mandating building more responsibly and using more recycled content. And how do we do that? So consumers, again, are becoming that avenue of change and that voice of reason when it comes to trying to get people to think about things differently that we've done for so long. Mm, That's interesting. It's almost like the same answer to the question about the venture capitalists, which is that it requires an, an outside force that either creates demand or creates awareness of demand that you're then able to fulfill. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, how we've been doing that is just like we try to with everything. It's I think it's more powerful for people to talk about the value that they see in the product as opposed to us trying to tell people what we think is valuable. I mean, I see this in a very different way. I think um, the good news is early on, I've been working with the U.S. Green Building Council, who's been an incredible source of support and, and resource and access And so we've been able to be alongside um, incredibly talented, high demand commercial and residential developers, Mm. as well as technologists across all of the building industry who are trying to drive innovation. And we've learned and and grown and partnered with them and, and around messaging, as well as just what do these architects need to see? What do these structural engineers need to see? What do these civil engineers need to see? And so it's been, it's been a really interesting journey and everyone across the board, across the industry, is definitely looking for new solution. And the great thing about what our solution is, is we are the highest content of divertible product or post-consumer waste of any other like product on the market. We're 100% recycled, 100%. Okay, can you can you explain my layman idiot phrasing for what you do is you take a bunch of plastic and you basically smush it down into a block, but that's not the way that you would describe it. Can you explain what you do? Yeah, it's uh, we our, our blocker systems are, is a hundred percent zero waste, all no emissions, all electric s- solution that literally just takes any types of plastic waste, regardless of time, doesn't matter, regardless of what kind it is doesn't need to be clean or sorted. And we convert that into a building material. I mean, it's literally as easy as eat your lunch, take your plastic waste, throw it in the machine, make a block, stick it in a wall. There's nothing else in it. We totally <laughs> make snowflakes. We make snowflakes. There's not one block that is made with the exact same composition. That's the science behind what we do. Um, how do we make something that is doesn't have a recipe, perform consistently? And that's really... That's really what this proprietary process has enabled us to do. At a very basic level, what is actually happening? How are you doing that? I mean, it's um, plastic is actually an amazing material. Regardless of the type of type of plastic, this still has a common denominator. Most plastics have different types of plastic have different chemicals and fillers in it, right? The good news is, over time, we've learned as a society to siphon off all those bad stuff that we used to put in plastic. Um, so there's not a risk of any 
there's a reduced risk of toxicity depending on the type of plastic that you're working out. But nonetheless, when you break down those chemical elements, there's still a common layer of, of similarity across the across the plastic. So we don't melt it. It's literally a fusion process. And that's why we're called by fusion. Um, when you cut these blocks in half, you can see every piece of plastic in there. It's just steam and compression. That's really all it is. And where's the plastic coming from? Where do you actually source it from? So this is the interesting thing that makes us a little different too, Jason, is that we're not necessarily a block manufacturer. We're, we're a machine manufacturer. Our goal is to get our capability. Every major market should, and every small market should have, every city should have a, the capability of taking control of their own waste to produce their own building material. That's what makes us a little different. Uh-huh. I think that collectively, we're only going to solve this problem if we can stop stop the plastic from where it is and put it put it block it for good use. So it's um, I don't need to source plastic. Plastics exist in every neighborhood. So, oh, I see. So your customer, you're not your the final product for you is not actually the block. The final product is the machine, and then you sell the machine. You lease the machine. Who 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 is your customer? Well, there's a couple. There's a couple. So our machines are designed to be modular, right? So they scale to meet the volume demands of wherever they live. They're designed to go where plastic is. So ultimately, yes, waste management, first and foremost, let's help them innovate and solve their problems. It not only helps them with reducing their operational costs from transporting no value material from landfill to everywhere else it's got to go. I mean, you wouldn't believe the logistics in handling this no value waste stream for these for these folks. Not only that, there's compliance issues, there's obviously climate issues, et cetera. So it solves a problem from an operational efficiency perspective. And it helps to normalize that very volatile stream of plastic from a revenue perspective too. In the past, China used to buy it. That's gone. Those days are gone. Nobody wants to ship garbage all around the world. We need our containers for goods, not waste. But they're stuck with this no-value stuff that ends up in the landfill. And then ultimately, sometimes in our oceans, in our environment, right, which is bad. So that actually, we plug our system into there. We create a commodity that's always got demand and uh, reduce their cost and serves as a community in a really real way and provides 100% transparency from a reporting perspective. Okay. So there's waste management. Obviously, there are municipalities that actually handle their entire waste management curbside recycling problems. So we're working actively today with mayors and governors, very environmentally focused populations and communities, which gets me so excited that political leadership is taking really strong stances on solving this problem. For municipalities, it not only solves the problem of plastic waste, but because we're literally creating like an adult Lego, we're, anybody can build with this stuff. Construction labor alone is a high cost of building. So if cities are able to create a new jobs market um, to solve some of their community efforts around infrastructure rebuilding, which, by the way, there's a big infrastructure build sitting on the hill right now, as we all know. Mm-hmm. So we saw with the pandemic, there's been a shortage of building materials. So let's give them the ability to create their own building material and put their people to work and keep up with the infrastructure demands of those communities. So cities, another big market for us. And then, of course, there are major corporations out there with high concentrations of plastic. I mean, just think about, you know, because we're modular, every there's a blocker system on it at every airport. Imagine that. At every the back of every distribution center where there's high concentrations of film and flex packaging, which nobody knows what to do with. They're just creating a, pro- a product out of their waste, and then they're, they have a warehouse right there. So then they can distribute it right out of their own place. So it's, 
I mean, distribution centers are ripe for it. Universities are ripe for it. There's even big other big, just imagine the corporations that can actually do that. The thing that makes me excited about the corporation side is we're working with some, again, amazing corporations today who our system enables them to actually sponsor machines for their local communities because their price point. So it's a service model. So it's easy for them to say, I don't have enough for my own waste, but I know my city's struggling. So let me sponsor a machine for my city. And then everybody wins. And after that, Heidi gave me the tour. So let's uh, end with a little moment from that. So this is going to spit one out any second. So this is our small unit. So this mm-hmm. one, this guy in normal production eats about 45 tons a month. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ooh, there it goes. Yeah. I'm like, uh, oh, here, thing has opened up. Here's a guy coming along with a pole or something. And there it is. And now there's another block, 22 there pounds of plastic. Is. This is so cool. And that's our episode. I would love to hear what you think and maybe even about a problem that you solved. You can find me at my website, jasonpfeiffer.com. J-A-S-O-N-F-E-I-F-E-R.com. Also, I have some more useful stuff for you. I write a newsletter about how to future-proof yourself and become more adaptable and optimistic. I would love for you to sign up. It is at jasonpfeiffer.bulletin.com. Also, check out my other podcast. It's called Build for Tomorrow. In each episode, I take on some belief that we have that holds us back from progress and show you why it is not as bad as you think. Problem Solvers is a production of Entrepreneur Media and comes out every Monday morning, so make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Thanks to Deepa Shah for production. My name is Jason Pfeiffer. See you next week.